Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Good evening and welcome in to the special edition of the QB11 show presented by Scoop Deck. I am Doug Scott and tonight I am joined by our special guest, uh, Lisa. She is an attorney here in Oregon. She goes by that lawyer Lisa on Twitter and she's here to talk with me about the Pac-12 uh, lawsuit case or, or the Oregon State and Washington State case against the Pac-12 in the um, Whitman County Superior Court in rural Washington. And the judge in that case ruled today. And uh, for those of you who don't know, basically what happened is the judge ruled that, yes, indeed, Oregon State and Washington State are the only two remaining board members allowed to vote on issues pertaining to the Pac-12 government governance. Um, he did add three wrinkles to that that I think are, are worth noting now, and we'll get into all the details here. But the first one is that he stayed the order until next Monday. Um, as UW, uh, University of Washington, and the other Pac-12 schools uh, will all be appealing. I think it's actually technically, legally, only University of Washington. But they will be appealing to the um, Washington State Supreme Court. And uh, so he issued a stay of his order, so it doesn't go into effect until at least next Monday at noon. The second thing he added was kind of a general admonishment or warning or whatever you want to call it, uh, to Oregon State and Washington State, you know, kind of telling them, hey, don't take advantage of the 10 because uh, that won't be good and it'll get back to me, whatever that means. And then the third thing he did was actually say that the 10 have 
a right to see the agendas of the board meetings ahead of time and to give their input and feedback onto whatever issues come before the board, uh, but they don't have voting rights. So that little extra wrinkle was also added. So Lisa, let's get into this. So first of all, you know, go ahead and introduce yourself, tell everyone uh, about who you are, what you do, you know, what kind of law you practice and, and kind of what's your interest in this case. So my name is Lisa and um, I practice family law here in Oregon. Um, and I think an important part of family law is, and what people don't often realize about family law is parenting time. Uh, agreements and judgments are contracts. And so uh, as much as lawyers may not like contractual and transitional law, because we don't think it's very sexy or entertaining, um, we deal with it every day. So um, I've also had a couple of other cases uh, in federal court um, and do a lot of motion, argument, and appeals work as well. Um, but the majority of what I do is family law. My interest in the case is um, I love college football, and I am a Oregon Ducks fan um, <clears throat> and have been for a very long time. And so I uh, have followed this case from, from the beginning, basically because since I was a child, you know, the Pac-12 is legendary. And what has happened um, is something that deeply interests me. And I think, Doug, you and I have talked offline. It's something I'm, I'm saddened by, excited for Oregon and moving to the Big Ten, but saddened by um, the end of a lot of traditions and what this could mean for, for um, two very small communities. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this on the show in the past. And, you know, I know on Twitter, on the timeline, you have, you know, it's a hot take, right? Twitter is the hot take, uh, you know, world, right? And certainly it's hard to have sophisticated conversations on the Twitter timeline. But I agree with you. And I've, I've said that, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't want anything bad to happen to Oregon State and Washington State. I, you know, I don't. I, I wish them the best going forward and I hope they find the best possible landing landing spot and phone and, and home and whatever conference they're going to be in, in the future or what that looks like. And I hope that their fans, you know, continue to enjoy rooting on their schools and, and, and that they could be competitive and, and all the things that they want to do for their, for their universities and their student athletes. Um, and I think w one of the things that I try when I tweet about this to separate is the emotional the emotional aspect of what is happening in conference realignment, whether you like it, don't like it, um, lament that we're, you know, we're, things are changing for the worse, you know, pining for the the old days and the traditions and the regional rivalries. It doesn't like, that's all well and good. And I don't dismiss any of that, but it's also not relevant to a, a legal factual case that we're talking about. So I, I really try to separate those two things, not dismissing the emotional, um, you know, issue, but just saying like, okay, when we're talking about the facts of a lawsuit and who should get control of the board and what assets should belong to who and what revenue should belong to too, like, let's put the emotional pleas aside and talk about this in a factual, legal way, right? And I'm not a lawyer, um, but I've certainly read a lot of legal uh, documents in, in over the last 30 plus years of my life, whether, you know, in, in all kinds of various forms, because it's a fascinating thing to me. And just one of my general principles about anything I want to talk about or tweet about is I go to the source and I like to read for myself 
um, and, and discover for myself because I don't like to rely on what other people told me about something. I want to go and read it myself. Um, and so in this case, I've, I've watched now both of the hearings. I watched the first one twice. I've watched this one today, the entirety. I've read every document that's been submitted to the court in this case that's been published online. And, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on the legal matters. And I, you know, obviously it's funny because when you get on Twitter, you see, you see people on Twitter going like, Oh, you know, celebrating something one of the attorneys for one of either one side or the other said, right. And it's like, well, yeah, they're, they're advocating for their client. That doesn't mean they're right. That doesn't mean their interpretation is the correct one. That doesn't mean they scored a point. It's not a sport as the judge said today, right? Like it's not a, it's not a game, you know, like, Oh, you know, Oh, he dunked on that one. Give him two points. It doesn't work like that. Right. So you can make a, a, a legal argument or you can say such and such school is going to do this. It doesn't mean it's true. It, you know, you have to prove it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things as it, that's fascinating about lawyers, you know, we make all kinds of arguments that we don't even necessarily believe. I mean, if they have a merit, we're going to make the argument. Um, and we're and our job isn't to, you know, it's to advocate, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're emotionally tied to something. Um, and so, you know, I, I listen to these court cases a little bit differently, probably than the average person, um, because I want to know what the arguments they're making, but what are they leaving behind? What aren't they addressing? Right. Um, because oftentimes what they aren't addressing is just as important and interesting as what they are. Um, but, you know, I think you make an important note when you're talking about the average fan being being emotional about it. I think sometimes on Twitter that gets me in trouble um, because I, I'm not emotional about this. Um, it, it is a fascinating legal argument. And what has happened in a history sense to the PAC-12 and what continues to happen in a legal sense um, is interesting. And, um, and it is driven strongly by facts. And one thing a very good professor in law school said to me was, Oftentimes cases are won because as attorneys, we all have in a lawsuit because of discovery, we have all the same facts, but the attorney that wins is the one that can spin it into the, the most palatable um, and interesting uh, set of story or narrative for the judge or the fact finder to buy. And I think that's what happened today. Uh, and you know, I well, don't know. There was, I don't a, there think was a pretty it, big home court advantage too. Well, and that's what I was going to say. You know, I don't know if this lawyer for uh, OSU and WSU, I don't know if he regularly appears before this, this judge, but you know, in family law court, I can generally walk into a court and tell you what judge is going to accept what argument because I've been doing it for, you know, 12 years. I know how they think. And that's a big advantage right. Um, against any attorney that's coming in. So I don't know if, I don't know the background of the attorney that appeared on the behalf of, of, of WSU and OSU. I don't know if, if that's a regular I, I don't appearance. Think he's local. I, don't, I don't think he was local, but I, you know, one of the things that I've said, you know, for the last couple of months about this lawsuit as I started, as it happened and I started following it and reading about it is like, I mean, to, to the point you were saying earlier, like, I think I can read, I can read the, I mean, let's boil it down, right? The argument is really about money, right? Who controls money? Like, let's be honest. But 
you know, it centers on the, the wording of the bylaws, you know, on what triggers the, the, the giving notice and what that means and all that stuff. And, and I, I read both arguments and I've heard both arguments by both attorneys, one representing the first time, one representing, you know, OSU and WSU and the other one representing the conference. And, and then more recently, also a third one representing University of Washington and, and by extension, uh, the other nine schools. And you can read both those arguments and see merit in both of them, right? Because at the end of the day, it is a a contractual dispute about the meaning of language in a contract. And there there is absolutely different ways to interpret that. And it doesn't mean one's definitively right and one is definitively wrong. It's all about how are you going to interpret it and how you can, like you said, package it and, and spin it and sell your narrative, uh, you know, to the judge. And I think Oregon state and Washington state did a really great job of that. Um, and I also think that they had, they had good evidence on their side. Um, and I don't, in the, in the point of, you know, I think their strongest evidence was, was like all these meetings that had happened without the other schools as, as to being some sort of precedent. Now, I also think there's a merit in, in university of Washington's argument that, that the thing I've always said that, that gave me merit was when, USC and UCLA immediately disputed their removal from the board. And then the, the full board never resolved that dispute for 13 months. They just ignored it and never resolved it. And I think that is also a pretty good argument saying like, Hey, we don't know what the right, whether just the fact that they had meetings doesn't mean this, this dispute of language was ever resolved. And I think that's a strong argument too. It's absolutely a strong argument, but it also goes to why those other nine schools were necessary because we don't have the discovery for the other nine schools. What were the other nine schools saying to the conference about USC, UCLA, and then Colorado? We, we don't know. Did they make any efforts to say, hey, this isn't fair? This isn't the way that this should have happened. So we can argue course of action, which is what they were saying. They were saying, hey, this was their course of action from the time that these schools said that they were going to leave and and nothing happened. You know, they they just didn't participate. Um, but we actually don't have the full story. We have what, about a third of the story? So uh yeah, three three out of three out of twelve, about a quarter of the story. I a guess. quarter of the story. If you add the conference and maybe a little bit more than that. So yeah. to me, I wonder if the narrative change changed if the nine departing schools were actually entered into this lawsuit and more discovery was exchanged. So, you know, I want to get later into like where like next steps, because I think we both have a lot of thoughts and particularly interested in yours about like where this could go next. And, and I think we both agree that it's actually more than one place. I think there's a, we're at a fork in the road now and this can take multiple branches, but before we get to that, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we talked about the decision. Um, let's talk about like the different arguments that were made uh, or the different um, points of contention. You know, again, to me, it's like, this comes back to money. And one of the things I thought up front you know, before we, you know, a couple months ago, is I thought that the 10 departing schools were going to want to get some of either the remaining assets of the conference, whatever those may be, or particularly I thought they would be interested in trying to get some of this Rose Bowl settlement money, which is like $100 million over the, over the next two years beyond, you know, after they leave, which is a 
a substantial amount of money. And so that was my original thinking is, well, they probably want, they're probably trying to negotiate because they want some share of those, those future revenues, future assets. And, and what was really interesting to me, which came out really over the last two weeks as first Washington um, and the conference submitted, you know, their kind of filings, I think right around the first of November and then discovery documents also came out around that time. What was interesting to me is Washington speaking on behalf of the 10 was very clear, clear and unequivocal that they only want, they're really only interested in current year revenue and the conference of the, you know, revenue for this year when they're on all 12 schools or in the conference, they want their, their one twelfth share of those revenues paid out. And they are on record both in oral arguments today and in their court filings that they agree that beyond August 1st of 2024, any assets of the conference and any future revenue earned by the conference are solely, you know, and completely owned and decisions about the conference are solely and completely owned by Oregon State and Washington State. So to me, that kind of, at first it set me back because I just assumed that the 10 would want more, but then it started making me realize like, okay, well, if they're willing to concede everything beyond current year, why don't we have a settlement already? And then that became very clear in the next set of filings, which came out maybe a week or so ago. And in that set of filings, Oregon State and Washington State signaled their clear intent to at least pursue the the possibility of, of confiscating some, a lot, all of current year revenue. Uh, they, they referenced it at least four times in their filings a week ago, and they referenced it at least twice in court today, and they were asked at least twice in court today by the judge if they intended to do that, and they didn't answer. Uh, so to me... I think that's why there hasn't been a settlement is not originally my thinking was it was a 10 wanting more, but now what's been clear to me through this process is actually why we don't have a settlement is that the two are at least intending to explore the idea of, of confiscating or allocating or withholding is probably the best word withholding some of current year revenue from the 10 and some sort of punitive action to be used to rebuild the, the conference. And, you can people can make different arguments about why they think that's fair or unfair, but that's to me why we're at an impasse. What do you think? I, I think that's part of it. Um, initially, for me, my thought process went in a different tra- uh, trajectory. Um, I thought initially they wanted they wanted to do as OSU and WSU said and dissolve the conference, um, and that would have split everything equally. But soon after that, there was a legislative hearing where it was very clear to me in listening to OSU's president that really there was a lot of blame being put on Oregon. And they were looking, because they're in so much debt, they may need some taxpayer assistance and state funds. And they thought that Oregon should have to pay them. And so at that point, I realized I don't think that's what we're dealing with. I think we're dealing with OSU and WSU, at least OSU, being um, in a lot of debt and needing the money. But then as the narrative, at least publicly, has gone on um, by statements made by WSU and OSU, I think they're also leveraging to try to get um, help from the departing schools not necessarily to rebuild, but to land somewhere else. Because I think they're smart enough to know rebuilding is actually probably going to hurt them if they're not in one of the bigger leagues. So I think there's there's a lot of leveraging going on more than money. Uh, just based on their statements. I could be wrong, 
Um, but that's where my opinion is kind of leaning. And that, and that's why I think um, is part of the reason they're not making any definitive statements in court today, or they didn't make any definitive statements. Uh, because I think that they have multiple options in front of them, and they're going to try to leverage them all. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, where do we where do we see this going next? Uh, you know, well, first of all, we can talk about where clearly the case, the current case is going to the Supreme Court next. And there's two two questions there, you know, for you is one, does the Supreme Court extend the stay order? And, and for those who don't know, Lisa, tell us what a stay is. Yeah. So what a stay is, is it saying um, <clears throat> it says to the court and the court gives permission to put the order that's been injured into on hold until the appellate court has made it or reached its decision. Um, it's not just the Supreme Court. I, I think there's a mid-level appeals court in Washington that would go to first before it hit the Supreme Court. So what if a stay is granted by the appeals court, then the original TRO that was signed into order on, I think, September 11th, would stay in effect. And so ultimately and, and that TRO basically says that the conference can continue normal operations, but they the board can only act if all twelve members give unanimous agreement, which is so it's basically somewhat paralyzed for making sweeping big picture decisions. Right. Um, but they can run the day to day. Right. Exactly. So they could be um and I don't know how long um it takes an average case to move through Washington. I also don't know if they have an expedited process. I can tell you in Oregon, it would be one to three years. So it's not a quick And that's quick for process. the appeal of, that's for the appeal of the preliminary injunction hearing. Now what's, what I'm confused about Lisa is what I keep hearing them talk about at court is this hearing is only a, about the preliminary injunction, which basically says is, is the plaintiff likely to win in court? So when like, they're, they haven't actually apparently ruled on no they have the ultimate determination of what who who owns the board when what court would hear that and when would that be is that so, still judge Libby's court it is because in order to get the preliminary injunction they had to they had to file a lawsuit with a cause of action and that cause of action was saying hey judge um, these people gave notice or these departing schools gave notice. And so they no longer can be on the board. We want a declaratory judgment. I think in court they kept referring to it as a DJ, um, yeah. stating such. The preliminary injunction actually effectively works as one um, because he, he says, I find you are likely to, to win up, upon the merits with the evidence I have before me, right? So and, kinda... and the and 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 that case will be heard in his court at some future date. And the the merits, the arguments aren't going to change. I mean, right. They're going to be the same arguments they made today and they made the last time around. But so. but again, this goes back to there were two things heard today. 
there was the um, there was the preliminary injunction, and then there was a motion to dismiss, which was denied. And the motion to dismiss was was in part saying you need to dismiss this case for two reasons. Number one, you've got a jurisdictional issue because there are nine other schools from six other states, and a state is a sovereign, and this state can't tell other states what it can and cannot do. So that's number one. And, and then the other part was, hey, in contractual law, any time a, a contract affects other people or entities, all the entities need to be in the lawsuit, named in the lawsuit. And they're not. There's nine schools not here. Um, and the judge denied that. My reading of the law, and, and this is the law that was cited both in the pleadings by OSU, WSU, and then UW primarily, um, I think the judge erred. So I think the nine schools should have uh, been named in the lawsuit. And because I don't know how you get to whether somebody wins on the merits if you don't have discovery and evidence from all 12 schools. So, and I, and I, you know, this has been my argument from day one, actually. Why aren't all the schools named in this? They're all necessary par parties. I don't understand. Well, they couldn't because if they did that, it needed to be in federal court. Um, and yeah, it would have dismissed. The court doesn't have jurisdiction. Yeah. Right. Right. So the, the court denied that based on a very weird case about a pool club. <laughs> Yeah. Pool. yeah, that was interesting. You know, they got 500, you know, and I thought the, that the Washington, I think it was the Washington attorney's rebuttal to that was, was pretty, it was like, you know, this, you're, you're comparing a case about a, a 500 member pool to like, uh, you know, this case about, you know, half about a billion tribes. dollars in, in revenue yeah. and assets. And, yeah. 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 It, it, yeah. It was pretty silly. It, it was pretty silly. So my best guess, I mean, I think I said, I said today in a Twitter post, I said, hey, we're gonna have to figure out, you know, I think, I think the judge is gonna, you know, rule against this, but we're gonna need to know what his mental gymnastics were. Because if you don't join the nine parties, you don't have all necessary parties. So I, I think ultimately, this gets overturned and sent back to him, saying all nine parties need to be joined. And the case starts over. So you think so, that? So you think the the appeals of court in Seattle or no, Olympia, the appeals court in Olympia, will overturn and send it back, and then at that point, the case those those parties can't be joined in in his court, right? Because they're not they have sovereign immunity. They can if they submit to his jurisdiction, the, to the jurisdiction of the court, right? Which and they would they're not do. going to. They're not going to. So the the future of this case, if what happened, what I think happens, happens is in federal court that's that's if you procedurally follow their you know every we have case law but we have statutes and then every court has uh civil procedure laws and what they were they were referring in their arguments to cr rules and that's really what they were talking about was the rules of civil procedure um in right. the state of washington and so the briefs that I read are pretty clear in those, and I think you, you dubs, 
um, AAG who argued this was absolutely correct. So I think it comes back because um, you can't decide that with the without the other nine. You just can't. Right, and 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 that and if so, it feels like there's other there's other different lawsuits that could happen, right? Because I think one of the things we were talking about before we jumped on the air was like the the other other schools could essentially submit a what I would call the inverse or the mirror image of the current case to their own state. So they could go cherry pick a local judge and that's a graduate of their school and, you know, right next to, you know, Salt Lake city or Denver or Boulder or, well, you know, wherever, right? Like in any one of those States or multiple ones of those States, they could go pick out what the court that they think would be most favorable file of the exact same lawsuit in the inverse way. And then you have five, six of these concurrent lawsuits that that are all that could issue, um, you know, rulings that contradict each other. They could potentially they could. I think there'd be another problem because then you would be suing other non-sovereigns. I mean, you'd have USC and UCLA. You'd have to sue the Pac-12. Yep. You do it just this way. And then I think you could potentially have all these others. And then say i'm say i'm absolutely wrong and the appeals court doesn't issue um a stay the appeals court says we're we're denying the stay on this um you could have a situation where in the beginning of the year when the revenue distribution should go out as was priorly i mean they already voted about what should happen with this year's revenue i think they did it in june or july when that first check doesn't go out, you can have a lawsuit. So right, yeah, they, yeah, and it's due December. They said their their payouts start in December. Yeah, so in des- through, next month. Yeah, so next yeah. month essentially. Yeah, right. And, I mean, and, that- yeah. So because, well, but also I think you would already know because because of his ruling that the the ten schools have to be allowed to to see the agendas and. I didn't. I don't know if he said officially they have to sit in on the meetings, but they're allowed to give their own input. But regardless, as soon as the two schools, if they held a board meeting and and passed a a motion to withhold, you know, revenue from from the ten or some portion of revenue from the ten, then they would know and yeah. be able to, like you said, file a lawsuit at that point in time. So there's there's a whole another pathway, and I, I think the point, and I've been making this point for months. Because there's a lot of a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of fans of the two schools on Twitter that thought today was the end. And no. what I've been saying, and you've been saying, and everyone who kind of understands this has been saying is like, this is the beginning. <laughs> like, this is the first step in what is going to be a long process. So yeah, it, but- unless they come to unless they come to an agreement and, and mediate and settle this, which would make the most sense. Yeah. I mean, to put it in football terms, right? They just completed their first touchdown after a long drive. So but we're still in the first quarter. <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah. I think, I think that's where we're at. And then we can't ignore what the lawyer, one of the lawyers brought up today, um, which is probably the most intriguing thought of all of it is under California law, which this is a uh, unincorporated association in California the members, not the board, decide whether or not to dissolve the association. And it only has to be minor- a majority. It doesn't have to be unanimous. So you get a majority of the members who want to dissolve the PAC-12 and 
they they vote as members to do so, then you're looking at possibly dissolving the Pac-12 and another lawsuit and an injunction possibly by the two departing schools. I think I think the real road is federal court at some point. I just don't know when, if they don't settle. And in my opinion, these schools, OSU and WSU, they need to settle because the longer that this is uncertain, they're not, I mean, we're in November, mid-November, Doug, and they don't have schedules for next year. Yeah, the transfer portal opens in 19 days. So yeah. they, they, their players, they have to know what their schedule, who are they playing? What's their schedule going to be look like? What are, I mean, what we actually, what came across the wire while we were talking is it has now been confirmed that if there's a, a, a conference, ha- the conf- the college football playoff committee made this policy change last week. It has now been confirmed today that it does not need uh, unanimous approval from the president. So it is already done. A conference has to have at least eight teams in order for their champion to earn one of the six automatic bursts in the college football playoffs. So that that's a big blow to Oregon State and Washington State and the Pac-2 because I think they were, I mean, they're still going to get their revenue for 20, their college football playoff revenue for 2024 and 2025. That's written into the contract. They're going to get that. But now they're only eligible for at-large bids. Their conference, they can't have a two-team conference declare a winner and have that team take one of those spots because they're ranked number 22. They have to actually get into the top 11 essentially to get a, to get a spot. Um, so yeah, they need, their players need to know what are, what are we playing for? Who are we playing? What, what's the prize out there at the end? Like what, you know, what's our schedule look like? Are we on TV? What's heck are we going to be on TV? They don't have a TV deal for any of their home games, nor do they even have home games outside of their out of conference ones. Right. So those players have an opportunity to enter the transfer portal in 19 days and Oregon state and Washington state have to give them some sort of, here's our plan that that isn't just like, we think this will happen. It's like, this is what is happening next season. Otherwise they're in a whole world of trouble. Not to mention, you know, what the coaches might do, but you know, start with the transfer portal. Cause that's 19 days away. Yeah. So time is of time is of the essence and the only parties that this advantages by dragging this out are the 10 departing schools or the 10 yeah the 10 the 10 i mean obviously they want their revenue right they don't want the revenue to get hung up but at the end of the day the 10 have probably have like they have lines of credit they have ways they can they can forego the revenue for a period of time i'm not saying it's fun or easy or you know desirable but at the end of the day if the revenue is hung up in court knowing that they're going to eventually get it or get some part of it, they can risk that. The two, if they're, if this is hold up in court and they're not allowed to even act, right? If the, let's say the stay happens and they can't even make any board decision. I I mean, what are their options? (laughs) At that point, they, I think they essentially have to join a different conference and dissolve. And then at that point, the the PAC 12 would be dissolved through some sort of, you know, conservatorship or an equal division of assets and liabilities or something yeah, because so, they can't, they can't just hang out there forever without control. Yeah. The, I, so think, I think, I think today, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I think that that's just it. There, there has to be certainty and um, you know, that going the route that they've chosen doing this route 
there's no certainty because this can be, I, I think what people are missing, this can be hung up for quite some time. A long time, especially, I mean, and again, in multiple different ways, right? You've got this appeal. You've got the original case that he's going to hear at some point in the future. And then, it, like you said, if they try to withhold revenue starting next month, then you've got a potentially different court case. And then you have a federal case that maybe somebody starts on, on a similar grounds as this one, right? I mean, and then all of that can be hung up for not just months, but years. Right. And so right? if I'm, if absolutely, and if I am, say I'm a Mountain West school, I'm not signing on to any agreement until there's certainty within that lawsuit. Because I'm going to want to know I'm getting paid the way I need to get paid. Right. And so if at the end of the day, OSU and WSU isn't going to walk away with the funds that they need, then why would I go to any kind of scheduling arrangement? Because I'm not going to get an auto bull bid. Right. And I'm not going to, or I might not necessarily get an audible bid. And I'm not going to know whether or not they can afford to get me out of what I need to get out of. I think there's right. there's a real problem. There's no certainty. Yeah. I think, so, you know, going into prediction mode, which is obviously very dangerous in, in oh, any yeah. kind of legal proceeding, it feels to me like... I think they obviously been working on a settlement. They weren't able to come to a settlement. I, I think the two were probably looking at today's order as a, a likelihood or a near certainty to give them additional leverage. Um, so now, you know, they've earned amount. So I think now the kind of ball is in maybe a little bit in the tens court, right? or maybe because I think if you're if if you're talking about a settlement now. Does the does the two say okay? Maybe they're trying to extract some amount of current year revenue. You know, and now are they saying like, hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna go to the mattresses. I just don't know what levers they actually have. I mean, they won. They I guess I would say that probably wouldn't happen until the stay order, right? So if the stay is not granted, then the two have a lot more leverage. But that's a week away. If the stay right. is not extended, sorry. Yeah, yeah. If, if the, the stay so, is I think that's probably what we're gonna wait for now. Is is if is the stay extended or not? Yeah, so the appeals court is the one. Um, so with this, there was an automatic stay until Monday at noon, right? I think the schools intend to file something Friday in anticipation that a stay would either be denied or granted on Monday. They're usually pretty quick. Um, right. So on so Monday is kind of the next key point, point, in, point in time, probably. So if, because I feel like the... No one's gonna. No one's gonna negotiate right now unless they fear losing that that thing so badly, right? So it feels like we're probably gonna wait and see. Is the stay extended? At that point, the the Oregon State and Washington State now lose a ton of leverage because time is of the essence for them. As their own attorney said repeatedly, and and because I've also had that argument with people on Twitter. Oh no, we got plenty of time. We don't have any problem with time. And their own attorneys on the record of court today saying time is absolutely critical. Like right now, this month. And right. so if a stay is is extended by the Supreme Court, then that removes a ton of leverage, in my opinion, that the Oregon State and Washington State would have. And they might then come back to, you know, a settlement that maybe is already on the table from the 10. Um, how do you see it? I think if a stay is extended by the appeals court that they they almost have to because I don't, I don't see any leverage for them. There's none. Um, the, 
as we stated earlier, or as you stated earlier, the departing schools, maybe minus Arizona, because they have some financial issues going on, um, they can all wait to get paid, right? They can, they've got lines of credit. They can, they can wait if they have to. Um, they're not salivating to get that first distribution in December. And so it behooves OSU and WSU to come to a settlement before that first distribution check. Because if that first one is not issued per the prior board vote, I think we see another lawsuit. So uh, I think they lose all leverage. I think their only leverage was that preliminary injunction. Yeah, and if the stay is not extended and they get board control, that's their next leverage point, right? Okay, now we have the board control. We're going to go in here and we're going to, you know, we're going to vote ourselves all the money and unless you agree to our terms right and then at that point the 10 can say can call their bluff and say okay we'll see you in court we'll tie it up or they can you know settle for whatever terms Oregon State and Washington State want um but I yeah I don't know It, it it seems like there's a pretty easy settlement not easy but there's a pretty in my opinion reasonable settlement that's sitting out there and I don't know if it's going to happen or what, what it, what it's going to take to get the 12 parties to that settlement. Even if, even if the departing schools said, Hey, you know, cause the, I think the, the estimate was they're each going to get between 37 and 40 million a school, something like that, or 35 and 37 million a school. I can't remember what it was. It was in some of the discovery documents somewhere, you know, even if the school said, look, as a goodwill partying, here, you know, you can have an extra 10 million from each departing school and we'll walk away. Um, because, you know, some of these schools are going to have their AAGs, um, but then they have all their um, presidents are lawyered up because the state can't, they can't represent them. I mean, this could easily be 10 million in legal fees before it's done probably far more. So, you know, if I'm looking at this from a a clearly economic standpoint of all the lawyers that would have to be paid in this, um, you know, I might say, what, what's your bottom line that you can walk away with? Not nothing, but what's your bottom line that you can walk away with? And that pads their coffers a little bit. Um, So, right. And it seems like, it seems like the, the 10, again, what I said, it doesn't seem like they're being, they're trying to be punitive here. Now, maybe, maybe they have ulterior motives if they get control of the board, maybe they will vote to, and you said, you know, they kind of, they kind of signaled that, Hey, we don't even need control of the board to do this thing. And that's their nuclear option that maybe they'll pursue, but based on what they're saying in their court filings and in, in their oral arguments today, it seems like they're willing to say, look, just give us our share of current year money and we'll leave you the rest. And we're fine with that. Now, maybe there's more details behind it that we don't know about, like who's responsible for, you know, potential liabilities or the ongoing litigation yeah. that's pending. Right. Like, and those are, those are things that it seems to me can be reasonably agreed to. And, and maybe the two just want a little extra, you know, a little extra off the top of current year money and, yeah. And I, I think know. a big issue is the liabilities. We saw some of the liabilities in the court filings, right? Lease liabilities. Um, I don't know how the two pack schools even getting future money is going to support 
the employees of the PAC 12. Right. So, right. I mean, and they have all those. Like, yeah. And, yeah. And I, I don't, I'm sure, I don't even think, like, to me, it would be very reasonable to say, okay, all 12 schools are equally responsible for the, the least space, which is like five or $7 million. It's not like a ton, right? Divided 12 ways, it's half a million bucks. Um, and every, you know, and then you also sign some sort of agreement that says, however, this pending litigation works out over the next several years that we're all 12 responsible for it, right? Out of our, you know, and, and there's, there's, it seems like there's a very reasonable middle ground here. And I hope we get to it because I, I think the worst thing for, all of these schools and particularly the the two is this hanging up in court for months and years. Yeah. I think it's bad for um, the schools and the narratives, particularly coming out of OSU and WSU and art are harmful for the sport. I get why they're doing it. And, but I think it trickles down, right. And it creates a general, um, I'll give you an example. <laughs> so I have bumper stickers on my car that are that are ducks, right? The fighting duck logo. Uh, Saturday, I came down. My daughter lives in, in Corvallis. She lives a half a mile from Reeser. Um, I picked my daughter up in Corvallis. I've done this on other game days um, throughout the years. Um, and never had an issue. Never had an issue coming into Corvallis on game day with my flag. I might get some funny looks. When I came into that town on Saturday, I counted. I was flipped off 25 different times um, and fists raised. I, I, like I said, I've done this countless times. I think the even the court um, filings... And what is happening all around that isn't good for our fan bases or the sport in general. I've always supported OSU when they're not playing the Ducks. Um, my, yeah. You know, my kid's boyfriend is a student there. So I think in general, it's not good for community. It's not good for the sport. It's certainly not good for the schools. And this continued kind of characterizing each other as wanting to take money from each other in such a disingenuous way, because I will tell you, listening to the lawyers um, representing oh the two schools, they were absolutely dodging. They wouldn't answer about the money. They were disingenuous about about what they were going to do or what their plans were. They have plans, but they wouldn't answer, right? And so, right. Yeah, yeah, the idea that they that they, I mean, they've been waiting for this this judgment for two months. The idea that they don't have a bullet list of here's what we're going to do when we get board control. Like it's nonsense. Of course they have a plan. Like they've, they have to, like they'd be, they would be derelict in their responsibilities if they didn't have a plan. Like it's, it's nonsensical. Uh, I did find, I, I, I found, I found the arguments, you know, and every, everybody's going to make the argument that sounds altruistic. Right. And this is when one of my frustrations is, you know, you have people, whether they're the, the attorneys in the, like, you know, in this case or people online or whatever, right. Like saying that, you know, the, the, the attorney for the two today, right. Like over and over again, the two just want to take as much extract as much revenue from the conference as possible as they walk out the door. Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's technically true, but it's also very, um, it's, it's very heated language, right. It's very, it's very, inflammatory language, right? Like there's some sort of like sinister plot or plan or, 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 you know, 
they're trying to screw the two, right? Which yeah. I, I don't think is true. And then on the other side, at the same time, like the two didn't do this to themselves. They just want to try to, you know, they want to, to secure all of these assets to rebuild the conference. Well, again, taking the assets, taking the revenue, the current year revenue that the 10 earned to pay other schools to join their new conference. Like how, how is that not the same thing they're, they're criticizing the 10 for it is, it absolutely is. They're trying to benefit themselves by taking as much money from the 10 as they can. That's exactly the same thing that they're accusing the 10 of doing They're but you know, and let's just be, let's be, I realize lawyers are going to make lawyerly arguments, but, but the, those of us talking about this, let's be honest about it. Like, let, let's be honest. Like there's no, there's no good guys and bad guys here. Everybody's looking out for their own self-interest and they all should be looking out for their own self-interest. And everybody's trying to maximize, you know, their share of the pie that they walk away from this from. But let, let, you know, this idea that like there's white hats and black hats is just, it's just, it's just silly. It, it really is. It is it is really silly and it's not helpful. Um, the rhetoric. Yeah. Yeah. The it's rhetoric. Very, it, yeah. Cause it, what it's done is it's fired up these fan bases to be a lot of vitriol, right? A lot of vitriol out there. And, and you, I can't even have rational conversations no. with Beaver fans because they're just, they're just completely unhinged and irrational and emotional about this. Like, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you killed our program. I'm like, no, like we, we fulfilled the contract <laughs> to its full conclusion and then we decided to sign a contract with somebody else, right? We didn't like, we're not out to get you. We're just out to get us the best deal we can. And and that's what Oregon state was trying to do too. And that's what every school is trying to do. It, it ignores, it also ignores the facts. Once USC and UCLA left, there were no more media rights. You just, I, I mean, why would ESPN It was a non-viable entity at that it, point. It, it became a very, a it, very non-viable entity. It really did. And you're, you're, you were asking the two remaining national brands, right? And I think Oregon and UW have proved that this year just by time slots and stations that are airing their games, right? The two, the two national brands that bring in viewership consistently right. um, were being asked to go to a format where it would hurt them on multiple levels, not only just money, but recruiting and, um, you know, all of that. Um, so it's just not the rhetoric is not helpful and it, it also is i mean you're absolutely right you can't have any kind of discussion on twitter about this because nobody wants to hear your nuanced response or my nuanced response which is look i deeply hurt for the community my kid lives in the community they're scared in corvallis it you know it's a major money hit to them when there aren't home games in the fall the community benefits from that. I understand that completely. And so I'm sympathetic towards that, but I can't have that conversation because the minute that I am an Oregon fan, I must be a grasping, unless I agree with everything the person is saying, which is usually delusional and irrational, right? Then I must be okay with what my school is doing, being out for itself. Well, it's a business at the end of the day. Of course, of course, it's out for itself, right? 
So, yeah, I mean, and just like Oregon State and Washington State were, yeah, you know, yeah, and, and still are. I mean, they 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 were they they're still trying to get an invite to the Big Twelve, right? Yeah. I mean, and they should they should be trying to do that, right? They're you know this idea that they're like loyal to the conference. They're only loyal because they don't have any other options because the conference has no like. Let's be honest, the value of the conference is extremely low. <laughs> Like, right. you know, it's just facts It's because there's two schools left and they're the two lowest value, the lowest revenue schools in the entire power five. So it's not it's not meant to be pejorative. It's just facts. And right. so this idea that they're loyal to this entity that has no intrinsic value is just silly. It's just a legal it's just a it's an emotional argument that they're painting in, in, in a legal court of law. Uh, what the reality is, is, is if they got the Big 12 offer tomorrow morning, they'd they jump on it so fast that, and they should, there's no, yeah. there's no loyalty to a dead conference. They're just, they're the leftovers and, and they're trying to extract every piece of, of revenue and assets they can because they know they need it. And and that's what they should be doing, but let's be honest about what's happening. And be, and be factual about what's happening too. And not spinning all these stories about, Oh, we're going to run off with 420 million and ha ha ha. We're going to be able to keep it all because that's really not, that's not going to be reality. Courts do not favor windfall in contracts. And, um, you know, I can't imagine being under contract to perform and I perform and then I'm not paid because I decide I don't want to re-sign a new contract. Right. Uh, it, that, it, that's just generally not how the world works, right? Con- world. Business, contract law, whatever, right? Like, I, I, I was in a contract. I fulfilled my obligations to to the my partner entities, and I decided not to sign a new contract. That doesn't mean you withhold my last year's pay. Right. And it doesn't I'd mean still that did, you... I still met the terms of the contract. Right. And it doesn't mean that you get to punish when at the end of the contract and in the final year, I notify you that I don't intend to sign a new contract because I'm really not breaching anything. There's nothing to breach. <laughs> There's no well, new contract. Yeah, and as, yeah, well, and as the attorney for Washington pointed out, which I thought was really astute, is that the the bylaws and the and the Pac-12 bylaws do not call for any penalties for leaving the conference. Right. So that's a that's a strong legal argument. If if that is tried to happen, like where in the bylaws does it say you can you can you know confiscate other revenue from other schools in a punitive action? Right. Right. Um, Right, which is one of the things I looked at. There's no exit fee. There's no cancel. Like there's, you know, and most of the other conferences have those things, but the Pac-12 does not. Yeah, and one of the things when this lawsuit started is I pulled, um, I I pulled the SEC because the SEC's bylaws are kind of the gold standard, right? Like that's everybody kind of models SEC or wants to model SEC. I pulled their. their bylaws and read through them. And I was appalled by the differences. As an attorney, I was appalled by the differences in the two bylaws. They're starkly different. Yeah, I have not read the FCC's. I've read through the Big 12's and the ACC's, um, and which are in a lot of, they're, they're similar because they, um, I think they were, one was modeled off the other. But they're, even those are stronger than the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 is like, they're, they look like they're written by amateurs, which is kind of the story of the conference and why it's dead, right? Right. Yeah, there's just, they're very confusing. Things aren't defined. The SEC defines everything. The SEC has a definition of what notice is. 
Um, and what Oregon and the other departing schools did would not have met the notice requirement under the SEC um, notice. So it, it's interesting to me that the PAC-12 is where it is because the governing documents are so sloppy. Are so poor. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think that's what it comes back to, you know, as well as, um, you know, and ultimately that's why we're here because those, that language, that language was so poorly written. And, and now we're arguing over, you know, does, does, what is notice, what is constitutes notice? And also, you know, does, is the controlling, you know, is the date that's attached to that sentence mean the date the notice was given or the date that the team is actually leaving? And, you know, and then ultimately it comes down to like, okay, well, like what actual damages are being done by a school that is fulfilling the entirety of the contractual obligation and leaving afterwards. And, and, you know, we didn't talk about this, but one of the, one of the notions that I, and this is, again, goes back to the poorly worded bylaws, but the, the, basically with the court's ruling today, if you, if you had a time machine and you're one of the 10 departing schools, what the court is telling me is I would get in my time machine. I would go back two years if I'm USC and UCLA or, or a year and a half or, or, you know, a couple, couple months, if I'm the other, eight schools and I would negotiate my exit to another conference in secret would never tell anyone would spend the next, you know, from now for, you know, the last year and the next eight months or no, nine months until August 1st of, of 2024 pretending that I'm still going to be in this conference after August 1st, 2024. And I would, I would be sitting or saying like, Oh yeah, well, I'm not ready to sign the grant of rights yet, but let's, I want to keep talking about it. And, and next, you know, when, when our deal ends, we'll, we'll sign a new grant of rights, but let's keep negotiating. We're not quite ready yet. And Oh yeah, let's vote on release, uh, vote on and release all these new schedules for our 2024 football season. And, or, you know, what that model is going to look like. And, and I would like keep up the charade for in USC and UCLA's case, over two years, and in the case of the other of the other schools, uh, about a year, I would keep up this absolute charade that I'm still going to be in this conference. So that on August second of 2024, I would come in and say, "Deuces, we're out," and and then then I haven't triggered this this you know this notice violation. I mean, that is an absolute absurd like place to be that would actually harm Oregon State and Washington State to a astronomically larger degree right because they're going to be left sitting there going like what the heck and now they're they're a month away from supposing to play games and they have no schedule well but i think the attorney from uw addressed that because that isn't even practical it's part of the argument he made about why um osu and wsu's the pac 2s argument was incorrect because he said by granting that preliminary injunction you know you would be asking them to keep it into secret. And that's not even practical because how would teams um, like Oregon and UW be able to get even a schedule from the Big 12? I mean, in effect, they'd have to not play for a year, right? They were always going to breach for a year. So, you know, I, and this is my cynical, my, my cynical mind, I wonder if Oregon and UW were ready to announce the year before with the Big Ten, um, shortly after USC and UCLA did, um, and then saw 
exactly what happened to USC and UCLA and decided to keep it quiet until they absolutely could not anymore, which would have been August 4th. Because I mean, that's quite a, that's quite a conspiracy theory. Well, I, but I don't know if that they I can go there with you, but it, but I understand your point. Yeah, right. Because if and they have to pull out August 4th, because how do they sign agreements that are going to tie them to Apple and possibly whatever incentives are in that? I mean, you know, I, I just think logically speaking, you the big 10 overnight approves them. Come on, Doug. Like they had to have been vetted. They'd been vetted. Well, they had, I mean, they have definitely been vetted. I'm not, I'm not doubting yeah. that. Um, yeah. That, that was clear all along, but anyway, it's an interesting theory and, and you know, that maybe, maybe you're right. We'll, we'll probably never know. We uh, Lisa, we've been talking almost an hour and I definitely appreciate all your time. This has been, uh, this has been really fun for me. I love talking about this stuff. QB hates it. So he loves that he could put me on to, to, <laughs> with you uh, to talk about all this minutia. And this is what I, I dig and get into, but um, any final thoughts you want to make about this case or, or just anything in general, you know, before we, uh, we say goodbye. You know, I, I don't know how many um, Cougs and Beavers fans will actually listen to this, Doug. Um, but I do want to reiterate that, um, and that both of you and I spoke about this shortly uh, before, um, or at the very beginning of this recording, and that is, um, you know, I think we, I do at least, and, and I know in speaking to you, you feel the same way. We feel bad for these communities and these schools. Um, you know, yes, it is a money decision. Yes, people must be, you know, do what's right. Um, for their institutions, but in the end of the day, there are there are local communities that are harmed by this and by the un the uncertainty of all of this. Um, yeah, and, and and I think that's well said. And like I, like I've said all along, I hope that that Oregon State and and Washington State you know, get the best possible landing spot and secure their Absolutely. future and, and, you know, continue to go forward. And, I, and honestly, I hope we could get the civil war back on the schedule. I don't want to see that game go away. And, and I, you know, I'd love to keep continue playing that and I hope it happens. Is this after Jonathan Smith goes somewhere else? Or is this way while he's there to really kind of <laughs> put wrinkles on us? Cause I, you know, if I'm being a little honest, I'm a little nervous about that game on the 24th. So Oh, don't be worried. Don't be worried at home. If we if we have to go to Reeser, I, they're they're a different team home and road. If you look at their home and road splits all year long, like they they play very differently on the home. Oh yes, they but they always play Oregon very differently, Doug. Like I'm not worried. I'm not worried. <laughs> if we get to that game, let's say we beat Arizona State and we get to that game, and we have all of our goals in front of us. Like I don't see Dan and this team not being ready ready to play and, and taking care of business. Well, Relax. I will just say that's the that's the one <clears throat> circled on my calendar I'm most nervous about. So, I'm, well, yeah, of, of the of the two that are left, for sure, for sure. Oh, of the two that are left, and even potentially the third one. You know, I don't want to jinx anything, oh, but no, that I'd one be, I'm not be, nervous yeah. about. <laughs> all right, Lisa. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been super enlightening. Hopefully, hopefully our listeners enjoy hearing all this and getting into at least the ones that love the minutia and the legal arguments and all this this fun talk. I, you know, I know when I've talked about this stuff in the past, I hear back from people that appreciate having this stuff kind of all broken down and explained because it is hard to follow. And you know, if you're not watching the court hearing for three hours today, like like I did and you did, and if we're not um, 
you know, reading all of the briefs and, and you're just trying to rely on the reporting. The reporting is so bad. It I, is. I, even like, like really well-paid nationally renowned. I mean, they're sports reporters, so let's start there. But the way that these sports reporters reported on this, it's, it's kind of embarrassingly bad. <laughs> um, and I think some of them are pushing a clear agenda with the reporting. Um, but there's some that I think is just more incompetence because it's not a, it's not an area that they're really probably want to report on and are good at reporting on, but it's sad because it's like, this is your job. Like I, it's not my job. If I, if I feel like I can go out and do the research and report on something like this and, and touch on all the key points. Why can't this guy who's paid to do it? I don't understand that. Yeah, I agree. The reporting has been really bad. So I'm glad that you did this. All right, Lisa, thank you so much. We appreciate you. And we will be back tomorrow to break down, or sorry, Thursday morning, we'll be back to, to break down all of the action in week 12, including Oregon's trip to the desert to take on Kenny Dillingham and the Arizona State Sun, Sun Devils. Thank you, everyone. Good night.